0: Hi, I'm C. Al Thomas, and this is Small Town Tales Podcast, the show where we hear stories of paranormal tales, haunting legends, and all things spirit. Join me as we explore the unknown. special guest is Dr. Donald Monar. He is a practicing internal medicine hospital-based physician who is also interested in the existence of the afterlife. He started investigating for spirits and ghosts in 2012, and in 2018, he launched Haunted MD, which allows him to combine paranormal investigating with the science of being a physician. Along with paranormal investigating, he is interested in near-death experiences and other topics in parapsychology. Dr. Monar, thank you for being a guest on our show. Dr. Molnar, can you explain what Haunted MD
1: is? Sure thing. Yeah. So, uh, uh, and thanks for having me on. Um, Haunted MD is a project I started uh, when I decided to go solo um, and do my kind of my own thing in the paranormal community. Um, prior to that, I'd been working with a team um, called Twisted Paranormal Society. Around 2012, um, I realized I could there was a local team that I could join and I joined them and worked with them. And then around 2018 or so, I started thinking that it would be kind of cool to branch out from just doing ghost investigations to looking into other parts of um, the paranormal world and parapsychology world. Um, and uh, I wanted to be able to share the, the idea that I was a physician uh, ghost hunting because really there's not a whole lot of physicians that do this, that do uh, paranormal investigating. So I wanted to kind of be able to share my experiences and talk about what it's like to be a physician who paranormal investigates and also how physicians look at uh, you know, the afterlife and ghost and even and, and even more than just physicians, the, the scientific community. So I thought there was like a little niche there where I could kind of um, grow and develop, um, you know, after having done, you know, investigations and all that. So I ended up starting a Haunted MD project uh, as a thing to be able to uh, get out and do lectures and, 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 and work with other folks and talk about doing those kind of things. Um, what kind of happened was I started a – my Facebook page—I started it back in 2018 as to kind of advertise myself, but then that kind of morphed into this, into like a whole uh, cool thing where I post a lot of different posts. Anything from, you know, spirit—you know, evidence that I catch to stuff about history of uh, ghosts, uh, parapsychology, you know, post about things like universities that used to do ghost, you know, or I used to do para, parapsychology programs. So my, so it got to be this whole thing where my Facebook page started to be a huge thing. And then eventually did YouTube and then eventually Instagram and all that. But basically, you know, Hanan and B came out of this uh, idea to kind of branch out more and kind of explore what else there is besides, uh, besides doing uh, spirit investigations and kind of bring in, try to incorporate my scientific background and my, all my childhood experiences and all that kind of stuff. So
0: it is so interesting. What is it about the paranormal that led you down this road to becoming a, an investigator of all things as a physician and a researcher?
1: Sure, sure. So it goes way back when, uh, way back when I was a kid, um, I had all kinds of uh, crazy things happen throughout my life. I mean, to this day, all kinds of things, you know, as a child, I would see things and hear things and feel things and, you know, and unexplainable, you know, what uh, what I Turns out to be it was probably ghost or spirits interaction, spirit interactions. So pretty much throughout all my life, I had these experiences. And when I, and then I realized in the early two thousands that you could actually investigate these things. Um, and reason I, the way I kind of learned that was realizing there was TV shows out there like Ghost Hunter, Ghost Hunters, Ghost Adventures, Paranormal State, uh, Most Haunted over in England. So I was like a man. I was a junkie and all that stuff. I was like, oh wow, you can really investigate these things. But it was, <laughs> but i never thought to join a team you know i didn't realize how many how many teams were out there even back then this was like mid 2000s or so early 2000s there was already a lot of teams so i was living in ohio born and raised in ohio i moved to virginia in 2009 around 2011 2012 i was working a night shift and real and a nurse had came back and talked about she had just investigated a, a place here in virginia called saint Albans, which is pretty famous and the local and I think national paranormal community, but she was talking about how she got to investigate. And I'm like, holy cow, really? She goes, yeah, there's a team right here in Fishersville. That was the Twisted Paranormal Society folks. So she said, yeah, and they're looking for new people. So I met them and joined them and all that kind of stuff. But I think kind of what, jumping back towards what you're asking is, I think all my experiences, you know, growing up and up to that point of investigating, I'm like, I wanted to be able to actually you know try to understand what I was experiencing and actually catch you know definite evidence of uh, of you know spirits and those kind of things to help kind of you know, you know help me understand what was happening to me all my life.
0: So So I saw on your um, on your Instagram, I follow you on Instagram. And so you're combining uh, medical equipment now with paranormal research equipment. I find that really yes,
1: yes, trying to trying to.
0: <laughs> that could be an so entire no, podcast on its own. That's so interesting. Yeah.
1: So the one the one thing I posted, um, it's actually an idea from my good friend. Um, kind of jumping backwards a little bit about this haunted idea, haunted MD idea. Um, I went to a paracon. Um, have you been? You know, have you experienced paracons and all that stuff? Have you been to those? I have not
0: yet. I haven't. I haven't. I'm hoping to go to there's one in Vegas this year and I'm hoping to go to that if they don't cancel it.
1: Yeah. So they're pretty cool. So Paracons, you have uh, people set up there's vendors who sell stuff and books and, you know, all those kind of things, equipment. Then there's guest speakers and then there's, you know, sometimes depending where you're at, they'll have an investigation as part of the Paracon. But anyways, a friend of mine named Chris uh, Balsone, he's actually the paranormal paramedic. I met him and he, he was doing this, uh, he was going around talking about, you know, being a medical person who does investigating. So he kind of, want, it kind of got the seeds planted for me branching out and, and doing my 100 MD thing. But the reason why I tell you about Chris is, you know, Chris kind of had this idea with the EKG machine and using that to invest, see if it would sense energy, just like a, like a K2 meter does or anything else you'd use a sense energy. So, um, you know, he had developed that idea. Then we had, were working together on a project, him and I, and a couple other people where we actually tested it out at St. Albans and we, and we thought we had some interaction with uh, the copper plate and some wires on EKG machine. But what I did was I was taking, trying to take it to another level where we could, uh, you can actually carry it around because the original setup that Chris was using and that we used this one time was, and was uh, it's not real portable. So I thought it'd be nice if you could have like a, the, the thing I posted recently was a portable EKG monitor with copper rods so that the idea is that something could attach you. But yeah, trying to pull in medical type stuff since you know, potentially, I guess spirits would be familiar with that if they were if they died in a healthcare setting and all that.
0: I, I love when um, research teams start bringing on new equipment and new ideas on how to investigate stuff. I just saw an episode recently about, um, I think it's Ghost Adventures. It's one of the big ones. I, I'm pretty sure it's Ghost Inve- Adventures, and they had a audio sound piece that they were carrying around using bina- binaural beats oh really so using like the sound somehow and i didn't really he didn't really explain what they were doing with that but anyway off topic sorry
1: no, that's okay but you know you're right ghost adventures they actually they do a lot of uh they do bring a lot of like unique equipment and they, they, they have the one guy i don't know if he's still with him bill or something or another it kind of develops all that, develops those things, and then they try them out. So, yeah, and I, I noticed Ghost Nation too. They've been using some different things too, The you know, with Jason and and Steve and, the, and all that, um, and Tango. They've been using some different things too. Like, i seen them using sonar, like a, like a sonar type device that you'd use for, right. you know, sonar in a boat. They were kind of using it to see if you could use it to detect spirits. I thought that was kind of cool. So, yeah,
0: that is really cool. And I thought back in two thousands when they were using the um, infrared stuff was amazing, but now they have all this stuff. Anyway, yeah. in a recent interview with Jeff Morrow, you said that you felt like you were haunted as a child, and even now you felt you feel haunted. Do you um, do you consider yourself a medium?
1: I, no, I don't think I'm a medium, but I, I think you know a, a, maybe a ghost magnet. <laughs> People call me a ghost magnet because it seems like, you know, a lot of times when I'm around or a situation that we we tend to get interactions. And I think the reason why I kind of think of myself as being haunted is it seems like, you know, everywhere I, where I lived I've had like strange activity happen, you know, sounds, sights, smells, you know, whatever. So it always seems like either something's following me from place to place or whatever is in a place is attracted to me or something. But, but it seems like I've always had, uh, you know, stuff happen. So I don't think I'm a medium at all. Um, I do get that intuition, you know, like that sixth sense about things, that gut feeling. Right. Um, You know, I think, you know, historically, I think my mom might have been a little, she she used to get like, like premonitions about things. And she was always really big into the idea that things happen in threes and all this stuff. So, so I kind of grew up with all that, but, uh, you know, going backwards, I mean, some of my earliest childhood memories, you know, I had, you know, I'd see things or I would hear things and. You know, so it seemed like whatever for whatever reason, I'm either more sensitive to experiencing those things, or there's things that are drawn to me. I'm not sure what it is, or maybe maybe it's just my imagination. But I don't know. I don't think it's my imagination. But it seems like <laughs> things happen because it's actually curious. Um, I was talking to my sisters uh, maybe a month or two ago, and I said, "Hey, do you guys remember anything happening to you?" And they don't remember a whole lot of stuff happening to them, but it seemed like I had a lot happen to me. So it was interesting that we were in the same house and. I seem to have all this crazy stuff happening and they really didn't have as much, or maybe they weren't as open to it. Um, So I don't know, but you know, the interesting thing as a kid, like I just, things just started happening. It wasn't like, it wasn't like I was told that things happened. And then I had that in my mind. I just started having things happen. Like one of the things I remember happening was um, seeing a light figure. It was like a child size little light figure. And it didn't really, you couldn't see any features, but it was just of light. And I remember saying to my mom, hey, mom, I've seen this thing like looking around the corner at me. And she's like, oh, it's your guardian angel or whatever. But, you know, I had that experience without anybody talking to me about guardian angels or whatever. You know, like mm-hmm. it wasn't like I was, you know, some people say, well, as a kid, if your parents talk about it, you're going to experience it and all this other stuff. A lot of things that happened were things that were like, were like were new to me. And then when I told my parents about it, they're like, oh, my God, that's this and that's this. And So anyways. So, yeah. So I don't know. You know, even recently, we went out on this past uh, Saturday and did a little investigation on the battlefield and seemed to have a lot of activity. So I don't know if that was uh, my ghost magnet or if the spirits were already there or (laughs) what.
0: what. (laughs) Well, somebody explained it to me once that when you have that ability to sense spirits or um, ghost phenomenal, that you become kind of a beacon. And other spirits recognize that and they are attracted to that. So even though the house isn't haunted, you have stuff pass through. Yeah, no, I agree on that. that.
1: Once spirits, some of the theories are once they know they can chat, once you know they can interact with somebody that can potentially see them or hear them or feel them, then they're, they're drawn to that. So, yeah. So that's why I kind of wonder if that's some of the effect, you know, it's interesting too. as I'm talking to you, I think about, you know, my childhood and even, even now a little bit, but more when I was a child, I had all kinds of, you know, kind of the sigh, the, the sigh phenomenon, like deja vu. And, you know, and I would hear my name called from a distance and nobody had called me. And, you know, I would get, I would get like, you know, weird psychic feelings, but I, I never considered myself a medium, but maybe, maybe a little sensitive at times, but I'm always, you know, I think the science side of me, I'm always skeptical too. So I always, I think maybe if I went with my feelings more instead of dismissing them, then maybe I, maybe I would be a little more psychic. I don't know. I usually uh, push it away and try not to think
0: about it. So. <laughs> right. Well, i um had experiences like that from a young kid, too. It started for me age two or three. This is one of my earliest. It, it's interesting that you mentioned that you saw lights because that's one of the things I would see is balls of lights kind oh, of bouncing wow. around the room and hanging outside the window and they would come through walls and stuff. So that was... I'm not sure why people see lights like that all the time.
1: Well, because, it's not to be, you know, it sounds like what you saw is true orbs. You know, we have this whole debate in the paranormal community about orbs and, you know, taking pictures and, you know, you catch dust and you think that's an orb versus actually catching a, a ball of light that has its own energy source. And then kind of the kind of the standard a lot of paranormal people think about as as something being a true orb is if it's if you see with your own eyes. And it has its own energy source, you know, versus catching it on camera or whatever. So, so that sounds like a true orb. So it's, you know, some theories, you know, believe that spirits travel these balls of energy. And there's actually some, there's actually some uh, physics, physics to that. That's there's um, a form of matter called plasma matter, plasma energy, and it actually may help explain some of the paranormal things that we see, like orbs or streaks of light and that's kind of things, but this plasma energy can, it travels, you can travel in ball form and stuff like that. So, and that's actually something that does, that can exist, you know, in, in, in our, in our world. So it's interesting that, you know, these balls of light that you see, it may actually be a spirit energy that's presenting itself. So.
0: Wow. So I just have to know, you're a physician. I've been to, I have two years experience with med school. And I know that that field is really tough when it comes to the paranormal. So what does this have an effect on your relationship with your colleagues at all?
1: No, no. People are pretty open to it. I think, I think it, you know, it's not big in the, like in the, in the, in the literature, like in the, in the teachings and stuff. Like at least when I was in medical school, although it's been a long time, but I don't hear a lot where you're being taught about the afterlife and things like that. So, but I think, besides the, you know, the, the hardcore education and teaching about that, it it may be kind of frowned upon, but behind the scenes, I have a lot of people talk to me about their experiences, probably more people talk about it than not. And actually folks that I was surprised that I thought would kind of laugh me out of the room there, they, they embrace it. They're like, Hey, I'm really interested in what you're doing. And Oh, by the way, I had this experience and I had that experience and things like that. So, so far I haven't, I actually haven't had a negative experience with my colleagues. In fact, a lot of my colleagues kind of point out things like, um, you know, where I work now, our office is where we congregate as doctors. We don't, we're all hospital-based docs. So we don't see patients in an office, but our area where we kind of set up and we have showers and sleeping area and all that kind of stuff. One of my friends that I work with now, she's like, you got to check out this office. She goes, This office is haunted and she's a physician, you know? So, and then a lot of physicians will tell me, even though I even have a good friend I work with too, he's a, you know, he's a hardcore kind of religious guy and, you know, real scientific and all that. But he even, he's even like non. I think his office is haunted. And for him to say that, you know, and, you know, and uh, bring it out, you know, that's, that was surprising to me. Um, so, yeah. So, but most people, I think most docs nowadays are pretty, are open to it. And I don't know You know, if you got involved, if you talk to the old school docs, like the old school people, they might poo-poo it a little bit more. But I think even when they poo-poo it, I think a lot of people have had their experiences, but they either don't want to acknowledge it or they don't really see it for what it was. Because I think when I think about all the experiences we have, you know, in healthcare and all the patients and things like that, I'm sure people have experiences. It just depends how you how it registers with you and what you think, you know, because it'd be easy to blow off, you know, something is ah. That was just the wind or whatever, you know, and so.
0: Right. right. Well, I'm thinking about um, Dr. Long and his research with NDEs. You're familiar with Dr. Long. Yeah, Jeffrey Long. Yeah. Yeah,
1: that's the that uh, book I talk about a lot. Yes. That,
0: yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he's always doing, um, he's always doing talks with the Chicago INES. And what's interesting about that is you also have uh, mediums. There's a psychic medium who has a television or he had a television show that has also given talks at the same um, platform. And you know that you're not going to see an article in JAMA anytime soon with people discussing ghosts or anything like that. So what influence do you think this has on the medical field overall? Do you think there's anything that will change with it as more and more of this comes out?
1: Well I think you know certain branches of the medical field you know there's there's you know MDs like you know Dr. Stephen Long and even the University of Virginia has Division of Perceptual Studies you know there's us MDs and PhDs working on that so I think there is a branch of the medical community that's interested in parapsychology also the other branch of uh of medicine that's that is would probably be a part of something like that or or more open to having combining you know, mediums and paranormal and parapsychology together as some of the hospice docs, some of the hospice docs firsthand right. and kind of, you know, they have experiences with patients having deathbed visions and, um, you know, and, and those kind of things. So, so I think it kind of depends. I think w- if you look at mainstream medicine, it's, it's probably, it's not, a, it's not a big thing right now, although it, it probably should be, because I think we could probably offer our patients a lot of comfort if we we're up to date on what the studies are as far as the afterlife goes and, you know, and, and kind of understanding, you know, it seems pretty convincing that a part of us survives after we, die, after we die, mm-hmm. that that might be reassuring for most patients, unless they're anticipating going someplace bad. Right. <laughs> and you're like, maybe you don't want to know that you're, that you're going to survive and go to someplace bad. But, but, um, but I think mainstream media, it's, it's probably, it's, it's not front and center, but I think it's, it's there, with people like me and my colleagues, I think when you get over towards a palliative and hospice type care, you're probably getting closer to people being more open about interacting or talking about afterlife and potentially, you know, mediums and alternative type of um, interventions for patients. And then in the parapsychology field, like I was getting at, that's where you would kind of probably have a combination of having people who like psychic mediums. Cause actually some of the parapsychology programs, like I know the Division of Perceptual Studies at UVA, they study in mediumship and all those kind of things. So, and then there's also a program in Arizona, University of Arizona, Dr. Gary Schwartz. He's, I think he's a PhD. He does a lot of stuff with mediums and actually trying to do scientific uh, evidence for spirits and things like that. So, so I think you're going to see it more and more. I, you know, I think right now it's kind of out on the edge of, Mm -hmm. of, of medicine and it's not quite mainstream, but it's interesting to think, you know, down the road, if we, if, you know, if it's becomes more definite to a lot more people that something else is happening when we die, that that would be something good we could provide our patients. Because I know myself, you know, I bring it up to patients that I do. Once I kind of feel the situation out and see if they're open to the idea, I'll mention about being a a paranormal person, you know, the consciousness survives and they'll be with us and things like that. And a lot of families and patients seem open to that idea. And so I think it's something you can offer. Um, We can offer, you know, some other kind of comfort. With folks, That's um,
0: Do you think it'll have an influence on the on these TV shows that you see and paranormal researchers and people who are hobbyists? Do you think it'll become a little bit more serious in the long run? Oh, you mean as
1: far as the, the shows and all those kind of things?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah I think TV
1: is tricky. Um, you know, I, I think it's tricky because you know you're you're trying to get you want to get ratings to keep an audience. So it kind of depends what will be interesting. Although I know there's a, to me, it seems like there would be a certain audience for like more scientific type approach and combining the medicine and all that stuff like that. I don't know if you saw it, Netflix, they had that show, Surviving Death. Um, yeah, it, was a really good, it was a really good show. I could see something mm-hmm. like that that would really be good to educate folks on both sides of the coin, you know, help educate people that are more science oriented and also educate people that are that aren't as science oriented. So it'd be cool. Yeah. If we could see a show like that, it, just, it would just depend if it could hold ratings and things like that.
0: Right. Right. And what in your practice, while you're at work, are there specific experiences that you have had that you were sure were paranormal?
1: Um, so, yeah, so there's, there's definitely some patient ones. And then one thing I'm thinking of real quickly as a ghostly experience, uh, I'll tell you real quick and I'll tell you about the patient ones. Then, um, so, you know, we have all this stuff happen, you know, where, where I work. And uh, one morning I was up around, it was like 5.30, 6 in the morning. And I was sitting near the front, near, near our door to our office. And I had worked overnight. And they had told the nurses if if for some reason the doctor doesn't answer the pages, go knock on the door. And they even gave them a key to our office in case that even knocking doesn't get us up. Because there was a couple instances where people got paged and didn't respond to the page. Anyway, so it was about 5.30 or 6 o'clock in the morning. All of a sudden I heard this knock on the door really loud. And, and, I, and I opened a door as fast as I could because I thought, oh, no, did I miss a page or something? What happened? And there wasn't anybody there. And there was no way they could run away. I mean, there was just, you know, there was like a straightaway hallway this way and a straightaway hallway. There was just no way. And I opened that door so quickly. And, you know, it's experiences like that for me as a as a science guy and as a paranormal guy. That really kind of it, it really makes you stop and think because you're like, Something knocked on this door that's not there, <laughs> you know, And it's, it's cool. And unfortunately, I wasn't doing any recording, so I didn't catch that. But um, but we have all kinds of that stuff happening in our office. Um, as far as patient stuff, um, one instance uh, that was really interesting is um, we had a code blue situation, uh, you know, this patient was on dialysis and ended up losing his heart rate and his pulse. And what they do is call a code blue or some form of that. Usually you usually hear it overhead. Um. Everybody runs to the room. The doctor, my job as a doctor is to kind of direct everybody and have somebody do meds, somebody do CPR, somebody put a tube down, you know, and kind of monitor the situation and try to make the call. What's the next thing to do and all that kind of stuff. So we stand at the foot of the bed, kind of looking up towards the patient. Um, so my back was to the wall. Um, actually, there was like a cabinet behind me. And um, so we were working on this patient for about going on 15 minutes or so. All of a sudden I felt this this rush of energy kind of come from behind me and through me. It was just like breeze with electrical charge, a little bit cool. It was, it was just, it was just curious. It was definitely something that I'm not used to feeling that much. So, so it kind of rushed past me towards the patient. I was like, what in the world? And then uh, all of a sudden the pulse came back. So we got the pulse back and then, uh, you know, slowly the patient started breathing on their own. Um, Unfortunately, I I didn't get to talk to him very much. Uh, because we had, we usually send them out. We're a satellite branch of the main hospital, so when somebody has something catastrophic like that happen, we just, we get them out to the main hospital so they can figure out what's going on with them. Because we're we're kind of more keep them moving in the right direction. We're not so much try to fix you know major major sudden issues. So, but anyways, um, it felt like this person's energy rushed past me. And when you read about near death experiences, you know people talk about you know. They either have a choice to go back to the body or or they have to go back to their body. And when that happens, there's usually like this rushing sensation where they're back in their bodies a lot of times, but not all the times. But to me, when I think about what I felt and the whole experience, it was almost like this man's soul was rushing back into him, you know, and and I always tell folks, you gotta, you gotta remember too that I'm, I really gotta convince myself of something, you know. It's like I, I'm not gonna just jump on the bandwagon like, oh, that was something, you know. It's like I always gotta I kinda of go through it over and over again in my head and it's like even as I'm telling you the story to you, I'm like, it definitely was something that kind of rushed past me into this man and then we got him back. So and it wasn't I don't think it was the air conditioning or anything like that. It didn't feel like that. So Wow. So that was
0: that was a patient
1: experience. So
0: Do you ever get to talk to these patients after the fact? I know you said that you that they end up moving on to the next, to the larger branches. But do you ever get to follow up with them at all?
1: No, no, you know, I, and I haven't, you know, I probably could. I got to make an effort. Luckily where I work, we don't have a lot of codes, thankfully. So that's, that's a good thing in a way. Um, but I got to remember next time that we do to kind of follow up on it and see if I can track down these folks and just talk with them and say, you know, Hey, I'm doing, I'm interested in this and doing that and doing this and that, and that kind of thing. So, I have had patients tell me, I've had a couple of patients tell me that they've had near-death experiences. You know, you know, one person had the kind of the out of the body, looking down at themselves, you know, they could see people working on them and then they felt the amazing love and peace and then they had to go back to their bodies. So I've had a few people tell me that. I had one gentleman who had something, but he wouldn't tell me. He was a younger guy and I, he just didn't want to talk about it. So I don't know. And he wouldn't tell me why he wouldn't talk about it. So, so I don't know if he had, you know, when you look at near-death experiences, most of them are tend to be pleasant and, and a good mm-hmm. thing, but some people end up having negative ones. So I don't know if he had a negative one or if it was just whatever he had was so shocking. The other thing that happens is if you have a even a good near-death experience, but you're not expecting it, it's pretty traumatic because you're out of your body looking down and all yes. that kind of stuff. So I don't know with him if it was if he was shocked by the whole occurrence anyways, or if he had a bad experience or something like that. Super nice guy. And even his girlfriend said, yeah, he won't tell me either. And what happened? So
0: that's interesting. So what is your idea of the survival of consciousness? Do you think that we live this whole other life after this? You know,
1: if you look at the evidences out there, unless you're going to be really, unless you can going to be a hardcore skeptic and you're just going to say, this is all a bunch of mumbo jumbo. I mean, there's every there's gotta be something that survives. And I think there is, you know, part of us survives and you know exactly where it goes and how it fits into everything. I'm not hundred percent sure. But even when you look at near death experiences, you know, all the evidence for near th- death experiences, you know, Dr. Long and Dr. Gryson at UVA and mm-hmm. Dr. Moody way back when, you know, all these different folks, you know, and, um, there just seems to be so much evidence that something's happening and, You know, when you look at these near-death experiences, you know, some of the skeptics will say, well, it's just some kind of dream state or it's the brain dying. But these experiences people have are so organized and so structured that it doesn't really fit in for a dying brain kind of phenomenon. So I think when you look at the evidence, you know, from near-death experiences and other things, it's hard to say that we don't survive. Like I said, I'm always a little skeptical. So there's always like that one, five, one to 5% chance. I'm like, well, maybe, maybe it is all a bunch of mumbo jumbo, (laughs) but I think, I I don't think it's a mumbo jumbo. I think that, uh, you know, that uh, I think we survive. Um, I'm not sure where we go. Um, You know, if you look at quantum physics, there's all these different ideas about multi-dimensions, parallel dimensions. You know, there's also this idea about different fields of energy. You know, they discovered the higgs boson in a Higgs field, which is this kind of field around everything that we, that we, we see everything around us has this field around us that potentially could have its own stuff existing in it, or even the idea of dark energy, dark matter. So I think we do have an energy force our consciousness or soul that lives on. And it either, you know, goes into one of these other fields of energy that's around us, or maybe it goes into a parallel dimension or, Maybe we're all existing in all these dimensions, <laughs> you know, at <it> all at <laughs> one time. But, but I, th- so yeah, if you had to pin me down, I'd say I think we do survive. I think spirits exist, um, you know, and sometimes we're able to experience them and sometimes we're not. So that's what I would say.
0: <laughs> Have you heard about the Monroe Institute and the Gateway Program that was started by Robert Monroe?
1: Just recently. Yeah. Well, I've, I've heard about it, but I didn't really dig into it until until recently. So it's pretty interesting. Pretty interesting. I know they they talk about out-of-body experiences and how that can help you with your kind of dealing with your life and getting your life in order and all that. So, I mean, it's not out of the question, you know, it's not out of the question. Um, I think I'm a little bit more skeptical about an out-of-body experience without a near-death experience. But the flip side is, is it seems like it's, it's possible based on what the Monroe Institute's saying. And then the other thing that's kind of curious about that is, um, you know, people who do extreme yoga that get to the high levels of doing yoga, mm-hmm. they're able to, you know, supposedly have these same kind of things where they're able to be outside their body. And in fact, I know UVA Division of Perceptual Studies, they're doing one of the docs there is researching those events where you're able to kind of get to this point where you're able to kind of travel out of your body. So so um it's interesting. I'm actually going to need to look in it. Maybe uh, once COVID's better, they're actually not too far from here. I actually uh, did a Google search and I think it's like 36 minutes from me. Somebody has to go down there and just say, hey, I'm doing this thing. <laughs> 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 What's going on down here? It'd be kind of cool to get to talk to somebody.
0: Well, the, um It's supposed to be, I've done some of the program. Um, I did the gateway program with them. And what that does is it kind of trains you on how to, See into the spiritual world a little bit by meditation,
1: and oh, did, it, it, did it work for you? Or
0: it did, it did. I won't go into because some of it's pretty personal. What happened to me, but yeah. yeah, it it really changed my perception of of a lot of the spirit world. Yeah. I'm just what do you and think? I, I mean,
1: do you think do you think consciousness survives?
0: I do, I do, and I, and to take it another level, I think that. Do you think that it's the way we live here? Like, if you're trapped in a mental hell, sort of, sp- sort of speak, that you would, I'm, I'm thinking about hospitals and prisons. These seems to be the most haunted facilities in the paranormal world. So, do you think it's the way we live life now and the way we think about everything?
1: As far as weather, whether, like, whether we'll we're like. As far as where will we, we'll, we, the place will stay after we pass away, kind of
0: thing, or yeah, yeah I think I jumped ahead in, a little bit, but yeah. you know how spirits are trapped, or seem, or appear to be trapped in right. prisons and um, hospitals, abandoned places, asylums is a big one, psychological asylums. Well, it seems like
1: it seems, and I think you're getting at this is that it seems like places with extreme trauma or or maybe not even trauma, but a lot of human energy, like even battlefields. We went to this battlefield uh, um, the other day, or when was that? Yesterday. Yesterday, I went to the battlefield, and uh like, when, when was that battlefield? <laughs> but it seems like any place, you know, hospitals, jails, asylums, battlefields, you know, civil war around here, civil war hospitals, any place that was a civil war kind of hospital. Of course, that goes back to your idea of a hospital, but anywhere yeah. where there seemed to be a lot of human emotion, they seem to have a lot, they seemed to have more activity Um, And I was actually thinking before I came on your show, I was thinking about, you know, the battlefield we went to yesterday and I'm like, you know, we caught some activity in this one building that was on the property. And I, I started thinking about the whole idea again about our spirits. Are they trapped in a particular occasion? And actually where we had caught some activity was in the slave quarters. And this is interesting too. I mentioned this in a post I did today was it seems like places, and this goes back to human trauma again. It seems like around here in Virginia, Places that had slaves on the property, that had that were people that owned slaves or worked that had slaves working the property, tend to be more active also, and it tends you tend to get a lot you get more interaction sometimes with what you think is spirits of slaves more than maybe the spirits of the owners of the property and things like that. So, so it is interesting to think about what is it about human suffering or you know, either humor, suffering, or even the joy side, you know, the, the fluctuation in human emotions that seems to keep more energy in a particular location. So I'm not sure, you know, but yeah, prisons, I don't know if it's the, you know, the, all the negative emotions there that, you know, keep people there. I know hospitals tend to be, you know, have a lot of activity and all that, you know, there was one, I was reading one, one near death experience. And this, this man had this amazing experience and he was interacting with, with a a spiritual being in his near death. And they were talking about, it's not so much good or bad, but it's your vibrations that you carry. It's your vibrations in life. And, and all those things, what kind of, you have good vibes or bad vibes, that kind of thing. So in his near death experience, it was less about like the good and bad qualities of what you did, but more of the vibrations that you project out. So,
0: so I don't know. Sense. And that goes back to the whole yoga too, what they're trying to do is raise their vibrations in life.
1: Right, right, right. But yeah, it's interesting why, you know, places with uh, a lot of human energies, good or bad, tend to be more active. Hmm. You know, and I, I kind of struggle with the idea, too. I don't know if you're going to ask this or if I'm going to jump ahead of you or not, is are spirits stuck in a location? And I think that's what I was kind of getting at with this this battlefield place. Like, was the, was the activity we were catching in this slave area, in this summer kitchen, was it with the spirits stuck there? Or do they come and go, or do they decide not to leave and they stay there because it's familiar to them? Maybe that's just, maybe that's what happens with the prisons. People stay there because that's what they know. I don't
0: know. Yeah, it's a big it's a big question. Another one you see a lot are suicides. Room yeah. like hotel rooms with suicides in them. There's a room in in um, the Sheridan Reed House. Have you heard of that in Chattanooga, Tennessee? I think
1: I've heard of it, but I don't know much about it.
0: It's a um, really old hotel that it's one of the oldest hotels in downtown Chattanooga. And it was uh, where El Capone was running whiskey out of. Oh, wow. Things like that. And he actually stayed in this room when he was um, when the FBI caught him and were transferring him back for um, for his trial. They stayed a couple of nights at this hotel and they locked him. You could still see the bars on the windows in this particular room. But incidentally, there was a suicide in that same room. Mm. And so that room is very haunted. They don't even um, rent that out half the time to people anymore.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah, Yeah, it seems like, well, without a doubt, it means certain locations in certain areas and locations tend to seem to have activity. The thing I try to, I kind of struggle with is, is it, is the same, is it the same potential spirit all the time? You know, a lot of times some of these locations get reputations of, you know, Emma, this ghost of Emma is always in the bedroom, you know, You right. kind of go in there expecting Emma. So I, and then if you get any interaction, do you, you know, is it always Emma or is it something else? But part, I mean, I think to some degree spirits seem to, they should have freedom to kind of come and go you know, where they want to go. So it always kind of puzzled me, even as even before I started doing my haunt on MD thing, why would a spirit stay in a one room of a building? Why can't they just Yay. move around? So so it's kind of curious about that. Now I know there is, you know, when you talk about hauntings, there's residual and intelligent. You know, and the residual is believed to be where the energy just keeps replaying and replaying. To me that kind of makes sense. If somebody died and it's there it's a imprint on the environment that it keeps replaying over and over again, then I guess that would make sense that that's always going to be there. But if it's an intelligent, if you're having an intelligent interaction, it seems strange to me that an intelligent spirit or an intelligent energy that's outside of its body would be stuck in a location mm-hmm. unless it chose to be there. You know what I mean? So I, I don't right. know. It's kind of curious to me.
0: And why would you choose to stay in some of these locations as a spirit? you
1: think of as if it has some special meaning to you, you know, you know, it's strange or, you know, or does that your favorite location and you come and go, you know, it seems like, you know, when you look at near death experiences, you, at some point, about 50% of people that have a near death experience when they're having it have a choice to kind of to come back to their bodies or to cross over to the afterlife or what, you know, cross the boundary to stay. So it seems like maybe you have a choice that when you die and you're outside your body, there's a choice that you can stay or go. You know, although the flip side of that coin is 50% of people don't seem to have a choice. So I don't know. It seems like some of the time you get a choice to stay and other times you don't. So for some reason, maybe somebody chooses to stay at the hospital where they died because they're so maybe they're waiting for something or somebody or something. I don't know. It's curious.
0: It's an interesting point. So you mentioned in the past that your father was, into Bigfoot and things like that. And your mother was into angels and more of the spiritual side of the paranormal. Does this influence your thoughts and beliefs about the survival and afterlife of humans?
1: I think it makes it, I think it makes me more open to the possibility. You know, I think if maybe if I didn't have all that, if I didn't have all that family support and we, it wasn't such an open topic, I may be less likely to, you know, to believe in it. Although I'm, yeah, I'm pretty open minded, you know, in general, but um but yeah, so kind of jumping backwards a little bit. You know, my mom, uh, she was always kind of more about making sure we knew about God and Jesus and we would talk about heaven and angels and my mom was always also I never told you about this before on, on a podcast. She was into the end times. Like we'd always talk about the end times, you know, like <laughs> it's, you know, Jesus is coming, it's the end times. And We talk about like the revelations and the sign of the times. So here I am, like this little kid learning about the, I knew about all the signs of the times, <laughs> you know? So, so it's, it's funny when I think back, but you know, anyways, and my dad, um, he was definitely more open to uh Bigfoot and uh UFOs and, and all those kind of things, you know, but it was one of those things that kind of came up in passing. It wasn't like it was in our face, you know, it was kind of like we would, it would just come up and be like, Oh yeah, we would have these talks and stuff like that. And, and all that. So there was always a kind of an open forum as a family to kind of talk about things and um, share our experiences. You know, as we got older, we talk about anything weird happen to you? Anything weird happen to you? Um, so, yeah, so I think. I think it, it, it let me be more open minded to it and it made me accept it, that it wasn't something crazy. I think if my dad or mom would have been like, you know, hardcore, you're this is that's not something that happens. You're crazy. Then, you know, I maybe would have felt guilty if I was having this stuff all the time. Um but yeah, I, I, funny story is i I was probably like sixth grade, seventh grade. and I remember we tried to have a little seance at our kitchen table because my dad's dad was into roses, and he always grew roses and he died before I was born. But one of the things we experienced as a family, like all the time was this smell of roses out of nowhere. It would kind of come and be really strong and then go you know, often happened more around holidays or anniversary kind of thing, but we can never exp- figure out what this rose smell was. So we used to always joke, oh, that's just Grandpa Molnar coming to visit. So one day we sat down at the kitchen table, we had a candle set up and we sat around the table. Me and my, I have two sisters, my mom and dad, and I'm the oldest. And we sat around and we tried to contact Grandpa Molnar and nothing nothing really happened. But we were like, if you're here with us, give us a sign, <laughs> you know? And So, but that was the kind of family I grew up in. But we also, they were down to earth too. We weren't all like, you know, off the deep edge. You know, my dad was a blue-collar steel worker, hunter kind of guy, and my mom was, you know, you know, she was down to earth too. So it was, it was cool to have that open for
0: <laughs> That's interesting. This idea of overcoming death and surviving consciousness goes way back. You see it in every culture, every religion. Way back, Egyptian times, they built pyramids for their um, pharaohs who were crossing into the afterlife you see it with the tibetans um, book of the dead you just see this theme over and over we we have it in modern day society even though we don't talk about it as a paranormal um, thing with jesus christ rising from the dead on easter and why do you think this is so important to the human psyche? why is this idea of surviving death so important
1: I think it's, I think it's important um, for, for, you know, people and most, well, most people and most cultures, because, you know, it, I think it gives you hope that there's something more than what we're doing here on earth. You know, I think in another way too, it maybe if you look at it from like a church kind of standpoint, that it, it's a kind of way you can tell people, Hey, you better behave or you're going to end up in a bad spot. So I think it's, it's, it's maybe, you know, the help, people come or deal with the idea that we're going to die and that it's not the end. I mean, I think if you think you die and that's it, that I think a lot of folks would be pretty sad and, you know, well, what's it all for if I'm just going to die anyway? So I think if having this idea that are, that we survive our death and, you know, potentially get reincarnated and things like that, it gives you hope and, you know, something to kind of look forward to. Um, I think, you know, what you're saying, I think is provides evidence that there does seem to be something An afterlife and even spirits and all that, because you go way back to even like Mesopotamia and, you know, some of the first peoples. they talked about experiencing spirits. They talked about the afterlife. Everybody kind of had their themes about what happens. This idea that the spirits go someplace else, whether it's, you know, to heaven or a purgatory type place, you know, that that thought process was going on even way before technology and all those kind of things. And, you know, folks way back when were much more in tune with the world around them, you know, the natural world and supernatural world. So I think to me, when I think about having evidence for survival consciousness and afterlife, I think all that history kind of supports that. Because, you know, unless you say those are all stories, you know, just made up stories past through time, it's like there has to be something to all that, especially every culture. One of the things I do with my Hot and MD Facebook page is I, I did different posts about how cultures look at ghosts and their different theories and stuff like that. So there's every culture has some, some like you mentioned, some talk about that about spirits and afterlife so i think i think it helps provide hope for people that it's not the end when we die and i think just it provides evidence that there's there seems to be something more than more out there so
0: so you're working on a book that's going to be released soon. can you talk a little bit about that
1: yeah i'm hoping i get back back at it um uh after all doing these podcasts is going to motivate me to get it done but uh So I want to write a book, Haunted MD, right? Maybe I'll come up with a better title. But right now the working title is Haunted MD and kind of just to talk about the things I talk about here and more in a book format, you know, kind of flush out the stories of my childhood. Here's a lot of things I don't get a chance to really talk about just because of time constraints. You know, so talk about, you know, different things happened in childhood and as I got older, then also talk about becoming a physician and kind of, you know, you know, how how that, you know, how physicians of science looks, looks at uh, being a doc. You know, one of the things I've done on my 100MD page is talk about, you know, other besides Dr. Long and UVA's program, talk about other university programs and other scientists. And, you know, people have done a lot of research in sci phenomena. So it'd be kind of cool to pull that stuff into, you know, into, into the book too. And so basically just a book about, you know, kind of the first half being about my, my background. And then, and then the second half being more the, you know, the, science and the paranormal investigating and the parapsychology and all that.
0: Who are your current influences?
1: My current influences? So, yeah. um, you know, I, I think, well, Jeffrey, Jeffrey Long, I think is really cool with his book and Dr. Mm-hmm. Gryson and, you know, Dr. Tucker over at the, the Division of Perceptual Studies. He does a uh, reincarnation. Um, he kind of picked up where Dr. Ian Stevenson left off. So I think those guys uh, are influences. Um, you know, from a paranormal investigating standpoint, I still look up to the the TV guys, some of the TV I like, you know, the Ghost of Nation and you know, I like, you know, the Ghost Adventure folks. Um, those Zach can be a little crazy sometimes. So, yeah. um, trying to think who else. Uh, no, those are some of the big uh paranormal investigators that I look up to. I mean, I got some you know, people locally too that I work with that are you know, our mentors and all that kind of stuff. So, but yeah, and then I kind of hope you know, I hope the more I do this, I can try to pull the paranormal investigator community together with the academic community right now, they they kind of frown upon each other or kind of steer clear of each other. You know, the parapsychology folks are like, you know, ghost hunting, forget that. And ghost hunters are like, what's, what's, what's a near death experience, (laughs) you know? So it's like, it'd be cool because we're all looking for the same thing, just in a different, different, you know, techniques and things.
0: Well, we just have a couple more minutes. Where can listeners find your latest work and blogs and some of the things that you're up to?
1: sure sure so um so if you want to go way back to the beginning my haunted md facebook page it's haunted capital H A U N T E D M period d period on facebook that's dates back to when i first started all this so i have a ton of evidence posts on there and i have interesting texts i wrote out uh text like posts you know little paragraphs of things about things we mentioned here uh so that's that goes way back my youtube page don Molnar, haunted md that's the second oldest uh, social media and then Instagram, I started within the last year or so. Um, I actually thought about maybe I'd pull some of my older stuff to over to Instagram. So, I, one of the things I used to do on my Haunted MD page was I do like videos about how to use a SLS camera, how to use a K2 meter, things like that. Um, so, yeah, so Haunted MD Facebook, um, Don Moner, Haunted MD YouTube, and uh, Haunted MD on uh, Instagram.
0: Dr. Moner, thank you for your time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Small Town Tales.